Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everybody and welcome to the Pro Video Podcast. This week we're going to be talking about title design, film design. We're going to be talking about creative design. We're doing this with two creative directors. We've got Hazel Beard and Heidi Berg in the studio with us today. Thank you both for being here. Awesome. Hi. (laughs) So Hazel, do you mind just taking a a moment and describing what your role is? Um, Elastic, I... um, Oh, God, I've never done that before. Uh, (laughs) um, So basically, I think what I do is uh, if if a project comes in and we have to pitch for it, um, we usually... um, get given if they're available certain designers and um, I tell them about the project about the film or the television show brief them um, help them with some ideas but I usually encourage them to you know um, do their own thing so it's quite creative for them and not just like tell them exactly what they're supposed to do um, which I enjoy doing and uh, and so I let them go off and then I design as well sometimes it depends what it is but um, usually I help when I do style frames um, as well because well, I love it uh, and then I they usually by every day they'll send me what they've been doing and I'll just like make notes by drawing on the frames and saying do this do that or keep going it's totally fine um, and then when it comes to uh, pitching the project, I actually put the PDF together. I do lots of references, and um, usually I talk about each uh, style frame or each option that the designers have done and what I've done. And yeah, it's a process, and hopefully, you, um, you win it. Yeah. Not always. Awesome. <laughs> We're going to pull apart that process a little bit more okay. as we go into the conversation. You're full time at Elastic, which yes. is one of the most well known and respected studios for the work that they put out for titles. Mm-hmm. You're full time. Heidi, you're a freelancer, mm-hmm. but you've done a lot of projects at Elastic as well as other places. Do you want to sort of explain how your role fits in compared to Hazel's? Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because as a freelancer, I mean, there's sort of like different layers of freelance. So currently at Elastic, it does feel a bit more permalance per se, because I have sort of consistently been there and done more consistent work. I've showed up quite often every day. Um, so that's that's a little bit more uh, different for me as a freelancer. A lot of times I do two week stints and then like go to another studio and sort of like be there for one project and then go to a different studio. So with Elastic, just because... Um, you know, it's it's a fantastic place to be. There's fantastic artists there that, you know, we all really, really respect each other. And it's so great to be around each other. So I've kind of um, sort of consistently stayed on for projects. And it's a, it's a similar process. A project comes in from the client. We get a brief. There's a little bit of a back and forth between, um, you know, just having a conversation with the client, understanding the creative, uh, then sort of communicating that to the artists that we're given available to try and, like, do this with. Um, but it's it's this kind of constant collaboration of going from the beginning of the client approaching us to creating it and then to getting it to a place where we do final delivery. So it's just like the whole, you know, soup to nuts kind of thing. What sort of team is going to be on a normal uh, normal size project. This is a question I've put out to some of the audience members in the Slack group. And this was um, from Justin Fields. So thank you, Justin, for the question. I think um, a lot of motion designers are used to working in very small teams or studios. 
So if you could describe Elastic, what's the normal sort of team size, Hazel, on a title sequence? On a title sequence, <clears throat> I think if we're, if we're pitching, sometimes you can have uh, two to three designers help. Um, at the moment, I'm doing a pitch and I have six or seven. Um, and because we're so busy at Elastic, they're actually all remote, which is right. quite unusual. Uh, usually, uh, we everyone's staff that pitches. So... Um, there's that, and then I think the average one, if it goes into production, um, one that we've just finished, I think three or four animators worked on it, um, and then we had some changes to do, and only one animator worked on it for the last two weeks. So it kind of it, it just depends on you know we have a project. The moment there was only one animator mm. uh, for for a documentary that we're doing, and. Um, so it kind of varies. Uh, so usually you have a big team at the beginning and then once it's kind of running and it's starting to finish and then there's changes and it sort of lessens after that. But it kind of depends on the budget as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say the style would heavily influence if it's very technical execution. Yeah. yeah. And if it's going to be 3D, it's going to be way more money. And, yeah. you know, so a lot of... A lot, a lot of people last it like it 2D <laughs> for cheap for cheap uh, projects, but you know, which is usually the documentaries. <laughs> yeah. If we're looking at TV versus film, TV has erupted over the last decade. Um, the amount of content that's been created and the creativity within TV versus what some would say versus studio films. What about timelines? Films have a much longer time period. Are you feeling that there's more creativity in TV title design, but the timelines are shorter? What would your thoughts on that be, Heidi? I'd say it's interesting because we've had this conversation where a lot of times when you were working on title design for films, you end up being treated like a vendor. And that's a little bit different workflow that happens because there's a very systematic way to work with either the studio or whoever's doing the film. You have to submit uh, the work you're doing in a certain format and it takes like a lot longer. In some ways, just because how formatted it is, it does take a little bit longer and um, it's a little bit less creative. So there's, and again, it also depends on like the title sequence that's happening, but I do, just my personal experience is I kind of feel like uh, TV titles have a, a larger breadth of creativity to kind of um, dive into more than film titles. Do you think um, Elastic is really well known for its TV and film titles? Are there other areas that are becoming more popular, Hazel? I'm thinking maybe like games, which is just such a massive market. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the the other creative directors, Andy Hall, he's done a couple of games yeah. for. Ooh, I can't, oh, he's doing Gears. Right. Doing Gears yeah. Of Wars. Um, Gears of War, and he did some other ones. God, I can't remember the name. For names Blizzard, now. I think I forget the last one. It came out. Yeah. Recently. It was. It's on there. Um, so there's that, and then there's A52, which is also um, part of Elastic. They're all the same company. And they're, they're visual effects, but they're more for commercials. Yeah. So, and Rock, Paper, Scissors is part of Elastic as well. So there's like, there's four companies. There's, right. There's Rock, Paper, Scissors, which, which is editing. Um, and is that long form editing or? No, they don't do films. It's usually commercial. Yeah, it's just commercial. Oh, well, commercial that's not, Actually, that's not exactly true. They have done documentaries where they came out with um, The Struggle that was on Netflix. That was a documentary. Icarus? That was Icarus as well. Well, did they edit it? Maybe, yes. Oh, no. You might be right. Yeah. 
Sometimes, yes. So more of a traditional post-production sort of house yeah, kind exactly. of feel. Yeah. So there's that. And um, so the the A52 would do visual effects for the commercials. So yeah. they, there's a lot of that. And there's obviously um, that brings in a lot of money for rock, paper, scissors. And I think that's probably why Elastic can do a lot of main titles because they're not you know, big budgets mm. really compared to what the commercials are. So the, cause there's a, the commercials are widening Kennedy. They're the, all the Nike yeah. ads we do, we edit and things like that. So, um, Which is why when you're looking at Elastic's website, there mm. is only a very small amount of commercial work versus the title sequences. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. if you go into Elastic's website and you go up top and click rock, paper, scissors, you'll see all the, the edits and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, it's... Oh, it's interesting to market um, the the specialties rather than having one brand for everything, mm-hmm. sort of um, mm-hmm. isolating each market and branding. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, needs quite a bit of scale to be able to operate in that model, I mm-hmm. would think. Yeah. Yeah, yes. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, but uh, Angus Wall, who is the uh, creator and owner of Rock, Paper, Scissors, um, uh, along with his late wife Linda Carlson, he, you know, he's a pretty good editor. <laughs> oh my god, he's amazing! So uh, he's won, he's won two Oscars for the show wow. Social Network and um, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yes. Yeah. So um, he's pretty good. Um, <laughs> so uh, and he's great to work with, and he works on main titles as well. I just finished one with him, and I've worked with them on um, uh, Dave Chappelle's uh, comedy specials. Um, and some other projects uh, like Adobe and things like that. So um, it's great, yeah. Awesome. There's uh, a really wide range of um, aesthetic styles that you see on Elastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm feeling a bit of a trend of um, the work that I've seen from you both. There's a real um, a film noir mm-hmm. aesthetic. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, uh, the suspense. There's mm-hmm. the edginess in your work that shines through. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, that's because of the work that's come in or that's naturally where your style lands? It's that thing of uh, you have to be versatile to Mm. do a lot of different styles, Mm. but do you think that that's your own style, your own voice coming through? I would say for me, um, a lot of, I am very much drawn to like more of that dark sort of noir sort of feeling or, you know, we get a lot of (laughs) what we like to call murder shows and the murder shows that come in, we really (laughs) like to kind of move towards that darker aesthetic. And I would say that personally, I do feel much more drawn to the mystery of that and the sort of like, um, ambiguous feeling of some of that darkness. Uh, Hazel, I think like she's, you're really trying to push the the envelope on, on kind of changing some of that sort of aesthetic, which. Yeah. I mean, I I guess uh, Velvet Buzzsaw is, Mm -hmm. um, I suppose it is quite dark. You know, Thematic, but different. very colourful. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really into that kind of colour and, <clears throat> and velvet and um, and shut up and dribble mm-hmm. and um, and Dave Chappelle and even with the titles for Semi Permanent, mm-hmm. it yeah. was kind of mm-hmm. a, a kind of pushing more for not just illustration, but that kind of more colourful. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not elastic. Isn't always just good at one thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And but it's I- hard because we do constantly get the same projects because clients see Mm. a lot of documentaries that come in it's all as you say it's all about murder Murder (laughs) I've just finished one so and there's uh, and you get sort of dark shows and you know like American Gods or I Am the Night and things like that the alienist and you know so yeah yeah, it's it's hard work but 
as a freelancer, you have to be careful about the work that you're putting in on your site because that will draw that kind of work back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People see it and they want you to do that for them. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. Like, can you do it like True Detective? <laughs> can we get another True Detective? <laughs> Just we get that a lot. <laughs> uh, the, the titles um, for those listening that Elastic have done, uh, it's, it's a list of <laughs> amazing work. Um, you've got Westworld and Game of Thrones, American Gods, Fantastic Beasts, Pacific Rim, Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> Check out the website. It goes on and on and on. But um, you brought up Velvet Buzzsaw Hazel. Mm-hmm. What I really love is getting back to an artistic form like frame by frame and and really it encapsulated the theme running in the film as well mm-hmm. through uh, the style and the texture of it. Was that um, something that you thought of right from the start or is that something you found? Well, that was never actually going to be like that, funnily enough. Um, so Neil Kellerhouse, um, who's a quite famous graphic designer, he approached Elastic, I think he's worked with Elastic a few times, and he approached um, with Dan Gilroy, who also directed um, the one with Jake Gyllenhaal as well, uh, Nightcrawler. Right. So he directed Velvet Buzzsaw. And initially, they just wanted paintings. And, it, and, and I was kind of like, oh, it's a bit boring. Okay, <laughs> we'll do paintings. And we, they wanted the paintings to go from really early paintings, like Renaissance art into modern art, that kind of thing, and just pan and just have the titles and I was just like okay not very exciting and then they showed it to a test audience and they hated it and they said we don't want to be lectured on art at the beginning of the film so <laughs> Neil actually came up with the idea well let's do an actual title sequence and that's where that came from and then um, we got in touch with Margarita who's a, an amazing uh, illustrator and she works on semi-permanent titles and has worked on like various other stuff and another guy, Diego um, who's an amazing animator and illustrator and we got these guys together and we wanted it rough it was like Margarita when she started designing it was a little too polished, a little too Disney and we're like no mess it up, mess it up yeah. And, um, was that to encapture uh, the f- mood and feeling yeah, in the film? It was supposed to be kind of odd. Yeah. Because um, the film's odd, I think. Uh, and it's, um, is it unresting? Like kind of, uh, mm-hmm. I think that's what I mean, unresting kind of look. Uh, so it had to be messy. And, and then the idea was kind of um, emulating the six deaths that are in the film. So right. they're not all covered. Um so it was just, it was quite simple. It was like, oh, man, hanging, let's draw that. And then uh, uh, what else was there? The guys picking up uh, the glasses, uh, the, the, the way they break, glasses. the broken glasses yeah. is what Jake Gyllenhaal was killed when he strangled. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> they all die. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, and it was just uh, what I love doing is... Um, the animation process. I love yeah. thinking of transitions. It's all about the transitions. Yeah, and going yeah. into, like, I know what we're going to do when the man hangs, his legs turn into the woman, and then she lifts up. So, and, um, but it was a collaboration between me and, and Neil Kellerhouse. Right. Velvet, yeah. Yeah. The style of that painterly frame by frame execution um, allows so much freedom in the transitions. Yes. You could really do so many things. It must have been quite hard to um, narrow down what those would be, or did it sort of, once you got into the project, come pretty yeah, streamlined? It came pretty quickly. As soon as it's weird because 
uh, as soon as I see a frame and the next frame, what it's going to be. And it, before before that all happens, it's just still frames. And Rachel Fowler, who's an editor at Elastic, brilliant editor, she kind of put it together with the music because we had the music um, from right. the get go and it never changed. So she would just follow the beats. And then as soon as I saw the frames, I knew exactly how we were going to transition. It was just it's almost like just comes naturally. As soon as I see it, I can figure it out really quickly. It was really colourful. Mm. Um, colour choices were very dominant. So the glasses being the blue mm-hmm. that come at the very start and come later in the sequence as well and connects it with Jake. They also, um, they reminded me of the glasses that John Malkovich tends to wear as well, who's also in the film. <laughs> oh, Just right, the, yeah, the, that's The right. look of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I was... With this darker, mysterious kind of style, it allows the viewer to read into things, mm-hmm. such as um, real horror. I'm thinking of Jaws allows you to do. So I start looking at this title sequence, start trying to read meaning into it. Was there anything with, say, the color of the blue glasses? Was there a hidden meaning in, in any way? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was. Someone asked us a blue question when we did a talk yesterday at university about color, the psychology of it. And I was yeah. like, I just like the pretty blue you know but no um we to be fair we chose uh red and blue specifically and just kept it black and white we yeah. did that on purpose so um but we didn't just just blue and red just kind of felt right and yeah. you know because yellow doesn't make, kind of make much sense and um yeah, I mean, there there wasn't a deep meaning behind the color, no. Yeah, or well, red, red, red is very always, blood, yeah. Very but I think sometimes you, yeah. you you kind of subconsciously do it, and it yeah. maybe it does mean something because it's obviously people have mentioned it and talk about it. Like you've just said, does it mean anything? Because you might have felt something when you watched it, yeah. so it probably um, does mean something. But I just I don't think about it. It's just one of those things that's subconscious. I think. Yeah, I've also wondered um, with colour, especially um, culturally, the significance of colours and um, the way you would use a palette. I don't don't know if it's just um, we're feeding back into ourselves after seeing these these palettes that work Mm -hmm. for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about um, sort of a monochromatic style with colour popping, Mm -hmm. I'm very much thinking of a sequence that you were involved in, Heidi, um, which is the, I Am The Night that you were talking about before. That was um, a really beautiful, strong, bold-looking <laughs> title sequence. Yeah, it was. Uh, that one was really fun to work on. And I think, um, you know, we were working directly with Patty Jenkins and her husband, Sam Sheridan, who, you know, Patty was kind of directing a number of episodes, and Sam was a writer uh, for most of the episodes. So they, when we first had conversations with them, they came to us with the concept of... Um, an exquisite corpse. Yeah. So just kind of that technique of beginning something and sort of uh, another artist adding on to it and just sort of like how that develops and how that could be reinterpreted into this kind of a sequence and yet at the same time be very much influenced by uh, the look of noir. See, so we wanted a sense of um, danger. We wanted a sense of discovery. We wanted a sense of uh, a little bit of color, but just kind of keeping within that, that sense of noir. So a lot of the imagery where you kind of see these disembodied bodies, if you will, where there's uh, like a woman who's kind of like looks like, you know, she's lying there and the shadows kind of slice her in half. It's that feeling of showing um, 
the murder without out showing the murder. So you just feel the disembodiment, but you're not seeing a lot of the gore. Yeah. Um, and that was just like kind of really fun to explore to kind of move between this feeling of murder and death and noir and also just mystery. The, um, those lines that you're talking about, very heavily diagonal, mm-hmm. like the composition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was wondering how you got to that being such a strong theme throughout the sequence. Yeah, we were, you know, we started to play with when we were playing with uh, light and shadow, it was just kind of like, how do we split up the frames? What does it look like? And, you know, there's something with with the diagonal sense of it. There's something very, uh, like you're saying, very bold about it, but also a little bit violent. So this idea of, you know, when we were looking at the murders of... um, like the Black Dahlia, for example, like how she was murdered. We kind of like looked at these corpses and how it was done. And also, you know, there's some surrealist paintings um, and even even some of Dolly's work was just very like there's diagonal lines. There's a lot of like bold sense of what's happening. We wanted to take that and just be inspired by it. And I think that's where we kind of ended with um, the diagonal slashes and the light and the dark. Yeah. Very beautiful, strong piece. Um one of the listeners, Chris McMillan in the Slack group, was um, asking, well, he said that he loved the uh, Hitch- Hitchcockian vibes of mm. the piece, mm-hmm. but also um, the Wizard of Oz kind of Dorothy crushed by the, the house. Shoes. Yeah. The shoes. The shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the shoes is interesting because we had uh, this main character who is uh, Fauna Hodel. Uh, played by India Isley, she is this very innocent person. Um, And we wanted to use the shoes as that representation of the innocence. So you have these sweet, and those were her actual shoes from the show, so it was great because we got to play with the wardrobe, but we we had these sweet, uh, innocent red shoes just like of a younger woman and um and it's placed in this environment that's just it feels dangerous you know and you're sort of like see the slow moving shadow sort of i don't know she is her whole body there she disconnected from it but like you just keep a little sense of that that innocence and then the rest is kind of cast in the darkness even the frame speed is eerie in its tempo. <laughs> yes. We were playing because initially, and this 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 is a funny byproduct of when we first showed them, uh, like animatics with still frames, because we made some frames and then we put it into an edit uh, just for timing purposes. And there was no movement whatsoever. It was just still frames. But Patty and, and Sam, they, they really fell in love with it. Yeah. So at first, they were very much about, like, let's just keep the still, no movement whatsoever, other than, like, post-camera moves. And um, I think Lisa and I really fought them, like, quite hard to be like, look, let's just shoot some things. Let's see what it looks like. And we did end up shooting quite a lot of live action for this. Um, it didn't make it into the final piece or some parts of it. But in the end, we just kind of took everything and slowed it way down, like way down. And I think um, in hindsight, looking back on it, I, I used to be very upset about this, but I think it actually works quite well and it's, it's really beautiful. Yeah, I felt it really added to that suspense. Mm-hmm. It's You know something's happening. Mm-hmm. You're just not sure what's... It's what, slowly creeping yeah. up on you. Yeah. <laughs> Both titles worked really, really well. Exceptional work. Now, you're in Auckland for Semi-Permanent, which is a design conference. For those who are in other areas of the world and not in the Southern Hemisphere, do you mind just sharing and explaining what uh, Semi-Permanent is as a conference for everybody? Mm. You want to take a stab? You want me to go first? (laughs) (laughs) Semi-permanent for me is, um, you know, there's so many different conferences now where it's like there's there's a lot of motion graphic conferences, for example. There's also like the off conferences. But I feel like semi-permanent 
they do something wonderful where they bring together uh, curators and designers and scientists and artists, and it's just like this whole breadth of people from different uh, focuses, uh, through you know, globally. And it's really interesting to bring them together and kind of like there's there's very much of a heavy design hand to it, um, but design in in a more universal sense, you know, like in the universal sense that we are all designers uh, by the design of us being human. So that's kind of nice because you're not just there to hear about one thing. You yeah. end up hearing about all kinds of different different like practices and different um, focuses. And I think there's also like a very big emphasis on uh, um, the social outcome and how these different practices can kind of move humanity forward. I think that's kind of what I've always loved about Semi-Permanent. So. And I think it's one of the oldest um, mm-hmm. design conferences. I think it's like 15 years old or something like that. Maybe even a little bit older. Okay. I, I oh, went yeah. to the first Maybe ones, 17. I think 17. 17 or 18 oh, wow. actually. Okay, yeah. I went to the first six. Really? <laughs> Every <laughs> year, yeah. Oh, that's Fantastic. right. I remember you said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really um, influential um, in a lot of designers in New Zealand and Australia because it's held in, um, in Auckland and Sydney. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I don't think that we appreciated way back then what mm-hmm. we had. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. we were just all graduating and yeah. design, motion design, it was such a new field. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even called motion design 17 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, do you think it's changed over the years? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's amazing to have that inspiration. And on the show, we talk a lot about inspiration. Mm-hmm. I think everything in the world ha- mm-hmm. has been designed. Yes. <laughs> um, the impact of design on the world that we live in. Nature is still a massive part of it, but mm-hmm. even in nature there is design when you mm-hmm. look at it. So, yeah, I think that was what made semi-permanent really special even back then that's still constant now is the focus on design and mm-hmm. not just the output of work, mm-hmm. but the yeah. impact of yes. it all together. Yeah. But, yeah, it was way smaller show. It was two days and it was just everybody in the hall together was speaker after speaker after speaker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. It was more that structure way back. That's fantastic. Yeah. But it's um it's interesting to see the number of conferences that are available mm. now. Um I do like that I think that they have to have a point of difference. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you'd only go to one yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I wanted to talk about the semi permanent titles mm-hmm. which Elastic um designed this year. An amazing piece and a really a piece which I found had very strong contrast in mm. the styles that was bringing in, and it really reflected um, oh so much <laughs> 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 when it comes down to um, quite opposing kind of styles. I think we've talked about uh, frame by frame and painterly execution, and there's a great example of that with that strong color use mm-hmm. that you're talking about the studio doing, but also a darkness and a suspense as well. Mm-hmm. So Hazel, do you mind sort of explaining how the project was briefed in and how it flowed through the studio? Sure. So I actually approached Murray uh, Bell, who's the co-founder of Semi-Permanent, um, and the reason I, I approached him was because I'd read an article, emotionographer about Joyce uh, and Ho, I think her name mm-hmm. is, and she said that she just one day just emailed Murray and asked to do it. And I was like, I'm going to do that. I want to do something creative. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I, I'm going to email him. I was a bit nervous. I was like, I work at Elastic. And I was just wondering. And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. That'd be great. He goes, we were just thinking about who was going to do it this year. And um, uh, so that was like back in November. 
And then we had another discussion round about in January. And then I thought, I don't want to do it by myself. I need someone to work with. So I picked Heidi. (laughs) (laughs) She picked me. Yeah. So I just thought with her crazy brain and ideas, we'd work well together. (laughs) Um, And then the only thing that Murray said was that the theme was truth. Right. So, and he would just like, do what you want. That's the theme. Go for it. and then the other thing that we wanted to we wanted to put on some restrictions ourselves, but kind of only one uh, restriction was it was supposed to start, which it does, like a typical elastic. It's very beautiful and really uh, lovely 3D. It's really beautifully lit kind of thing. And then it was supposed to change. This is not elastic um, that you think it is. Yeah. And that's when the shirt gets pulled and we go into a burst of colour. And then we only go dark at Cronus and then we're back into colour and that was the whole point. That was really wanted to do that. And then it was just a matter of getting the idea. Mm. Um, and we probably were about a whole month just going, mm. <laughs> oh, I can't think of anything. <laughs> so it was a bit like that. And uh, and then Heidi just waltzed in one day and went, I thought something, I can't get it out of my head. And I've written it down. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, that is incredible. Let's do it. <laughs> But I'll let um, Heidi explain the uh, the idea a bit more. Cool. Oh, yeah. Should yeah. we walk through the concept? Yeah, yeah. totally. Fantastic. Yeah. So, um, you know, like like Hazel was saying, we really played with a lot of different like themes of what this could be. And truth was such like this ambivalent concept where like truth is is so many things. It's so many insane things. So uh, I think the more we talked about it, we had discussions with other artists at the studio about the concept of truth and what that could possibly mean, is that everybody had a different idea of, of what truth is. Um, and that kind of brought up this idea of truth uh, really being interchangeable, where it can constantly move between different forms and sort of like uh, formats and just um, personifications. So um, I've been a huge uh, fan of Joseph Campbell for probably since I ever first learned about him and just his work on myth and uh, the idea of the hero's journey. It's so fantastic, the concept. So uh, I thought, like, let's let's take this idea of truth and make it our hero and kind of put it into the hero's journey. So we have, like, various sections that we broke out. And the first section where we're in this beautiful sort of 3D uh, world is um, this idea of the void and also uh, Veritas, Veritas kind of being the, the Roman goddess of truth. And the void just being this um, philosophical concept of just nothingness manifested. So we wanted to start there. Just seeing truth in a format, we kind of approach it, it's shrouded, you're interested. And then we see it just, the shroud just ripped off. And what's revealed underneath is this idea of uh, the savior. And the idea of the savior is not so much um, any particular God per se, but just like more of the religious concept of truth, how it might manifest. So we see this kind of like glowing, effervescent uh, figure who starts to kind of like reluctantly be enveloped and overwhelmed by this this fluid form that's kind of traveling up its body. At that point, we then introduce the concept of the shadow. And the shadow is this enormous dark form that just kind of arrives over the horizon and really overtakes the the savior figure. And the shadow being kind of the manifestation of truth in psychology, where it's just the shadow kind of being the collective unconscious, or rather like the dark side of the personality. So that really just kind of overtakes this this savior figure and kind of absorbs it. Um, And then we kind of move into the next section, which was the idea of um, the mimic and the many. 
And that originally was to be a bit more political, but we kind of uh, switched gears on that because we didn't really want to get too much into politics because there's just so much one going on in America and the world and nationalism, et cetera, et cetera. So we tried to keep it a, a bit simpler. Um, and we just wanted to continue with this idea of like the hero of the thousand faces. So you just see like these multiple faces kind of like moving uh, on this character. And then that um, from there, we sort of move into the concept of what we were calling Siddhartha. And we wanted to take this journey that you're on and get it to a place of calm. So all the faces kind of like come together and it forms this very like uh, beautifully lit uh, 3D kind of effervescent figure. Um, and it's like a moment of reflection. And in that moment of reflection, Siddhartha brings forth this tiny human figure, sort of like bursts it, like with the hands revealing it. And um, at that moment, we wanted to move the Siddhartha character into the idea of Cronus. And Cronus is this figure who, in mythology, like ate all of his children. Like every children he had, he just consumed it. He was just like uh, filled with greed and rage. And, um, you know, like once he consumes our little figure that we see on the scene, it uh, breaks him apart. He comes undone and he starts to shatter. And then we are kind of left alone with our human figure who's just endlessly falling through this kind of psychedelic, beautiful landscape. Um, and it feels a bit like it could be dangerous or it could be quite euphoric or, um, you know, you don't really know how to feel at that moment. And then we kind of at the final moment, we wanted to create uh, a sense of rebirth almost and to take this human figure, uh, something we can really relate to in a form of truth. Um, have this figure open its eyes for the first time in the entire spot or sequence and uh, look at a reflection of itself in a way, you know, slightly different, but it's kind of like opening your eyes uh, to yourself. And that was kind of our final commentary on truth, if you will, about like, you know, like truth comes in all forms, but it's that moment of really like inner reflection or kind of like looking at yourself that you then can have like a larger scope on things. And then that's, that's kind of where we wanted to end it. Yeah. <laughs> That is amazing. <laughs> it's, it's epic. So uh, we will have links to the work that we're talking about. So I'd like everybody to re re look at that work now, understanding what the actual journey and the story and the meanings are there, because I think that having a knowledge or an understanding actually just allows you to see it in such a different way. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, That's really course, powerful. Of course. I'm interested in understanding um, the process mm. of just trying to get to that point and how that process looks like. Is it just literally sitting down and talking through or is it bringing together inspiration and reviewing it together? What is what is that process of getting to that? Well, it, was <laughs> <laughs> it was... It was a tough, uh, very mm. difficult process um, because obviously... There's no money. It's a, a non-paid job, um, even though last did put a, a budget for us. Um, we we just needed a lot of people. And, well, it wasn't that we needed a lot of people. Um, it was kind of difficult to ask people to work for free. Yeah. Um, it's always hard and I, you don't really like doing it. So we asked a lot of people because we knew that they might only be able to spend like a couple of days here and there. So we ended up speaking to about what, 34 people. Mm. Some of them only worked for a couple of days and not, not their stuff was used, but we still credit them in the credits because it's important that they gave up that tiny bit of time to help us. And then there was probably about five or six 
people that were with us for the last, like three months of animating on and off, like doing their own work. Because mm. we were, I forgot in it, um, that we were doing our own projects as, yeah. as yes. well. Like at the same time, we yeah. would have like anywhere between four, like three to four or five other jobs going on simultaneously. Yeah. So. so we're kind of all in the same boat. And <clears throat> it was just a matter of like, uh, we got the storyboard, we wrote the idea, we got the storyboard, um, and then Duron, uh, the editor, uh, cut it together, and then, right, we've got to make the style frames for this, and then it's just, you know, contacting everyone, and I went to a conference, Motion Design Plus, in Los Angeles, and recruited Curry, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, made her work for free, <laughs> and gave her a job at Elastic. You got, <laughs> you gave her some of those exposure dollars, eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So she was excited to work on it. Um, uh, and then the, there's obviously Margarita, Gabriel, mm. Sakani, mm. Daniel, um, Gruen, who was in Korea. Mm-hmm. So Margarita was in Milan. Mm-hmm. Um, Sakani is in New York. Mm-hmm. So it's like... <laughs> and Daniel was in Portland? Portland. Portland, yeah, yeah that's so right. It was and like... then there's Gabriel, who was the lead animation compositor. He was actually in Elastic. He was so one of quite a few pleased. that we had in-house and... He really anchored us, I feel like. Like, I think there was so much just email wrangling and sort of trying to, like, communicate with artists and send notes back and forth. And Gabe, he really spearheaded that and took a, a really heavy leadership role that helped us enormously. Yeah, I mean, because there were, there were a couple of moments where I thought, I, we're not going to be able to finish this. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was terrifying, that yeah. feeling that I actually thought, wonder if I can just tell Murray I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. I, mean, I don't think we're going to be we able to we all entertain that slightly, oh. like, how do we? Oof, yeah, how are we gonna and get now it? that it's out in the world, well, it will be, and um, when we do our talk tomorrow, uh-huh, we're gonna uh-huh. simultaneously we're gonna release it on Vimeo and online. So um, it's kind of mm. it's it's mm. done, it's over with, and it's we get to birth the child. Yes, <laughs> and, but it was a very it was a very um, collaborative process. Yeah, you know, um, and it, everyone that worked on it was just amazing. Amazing. Mm really ambitious project and can understand that fear when it's not a paid job Mm. um keeping that momentum up with it and just it being in the back of your mind constantly as well yeah yeah exactly especially it's even worse when you you know it's not quite right and you have to tell the artist it's not right and you're just like sometimes they just dodge it and then yeah. write an email like two days later and go, <laughs> you know can you, change um, can you just change it please <laughs> it's really good but you know and that's kind of always hard but um, it's hard when you're paying somebody yeah I know yes. <laughs> exactly yes. that's what I mean and it was really it was it was difficult but um People like Rachel Brickle was quite mm. buoyant and really up for enthusiasm. And she came in the weekends and worked and she did all the previous cameras. And, yeah. you know, it was just... It was amazing. It was great. It was just, I mean, people were willing to do so many... I, I was blown away by people's just, one, their professionalism, but the creativity. But then on top of that, they were, like, boosting our morale. Like, sometimes, like, you really have to try to make sure that morale stays positive, especially in unpaid uh, yeah. jobs. But it's almost like they, they were all so enthusiastic that it just it just reminded me that um, we're kind of all in this together and it was it, it felt it felt great to just kind of have like Rachel be so uh, like excited yeah. about camera moves and like learning how to like animate a little character she'd never animated before like yeah. it, it, the enthusiasm from from our collaborators was fantastic and I, I remember asking her when she was on one weekend I said do you think we'll get this finished <laughs> <laughs> and she looked at me and she went yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so that was like Okay, okay, yeah, okay. We're going to be all right. We're, we're going to be, be okay. okay. Everything's fine. Yeah. Oh, it's classic. Awesome. <laughs> well, we'll have the link for that and um, the other work that we've been talking about. And 
yeah, if you haven't been to the Elastics website, you're you're going to be inspired and in for a treat. Yeah, there's <laughs> so much great work that I'm sure that you would recognise from um, some of your your viewing habits. And now it's time for the pro video packs. This is the section of the show where the audience gets to be inspired by what inspires you. Mm-hmm. So a pro video pick can literally be anything. Mm-hmm. Heidi, what would be your pro video pick? Uh, let's see. Now I'm trying to remember the names exactly. Because like there's, okay, there's this Vimeo link. And um, I think his name is Chess. I'm forgetting his name at this moment. But he does fantastic work with just like light and, uh, um, you know, drones, essentially sort of flying through a space. And I think he's a little bit in a cave and then also in the woods. I can't remember the name of it, though. We'll have a link anyway. Excellent. Yeah, so you can check that out. Yeah, check that out. But I just think it's absolutely beautiful, like the disorientation of the viewer. Sort of anything that you're going to do that's absolutely uh, kind of changing what happens in camera, always fantastic to me. I love, like, playing with new technology in terms of just, like, switching up, like, how you feel when you watch a space. And I think in between the light and the movements of the drone, it's absolutely fantastic in that. Awesome. Excellent. Hazel, what would be your pro video pick? I think... um York's This Modern Life. I think it's called This Modern Life. It's directed by Michel Gondry. And I remember seeing it maybe, when was it? 97 or something like that. It was a long time ago. And I was blown away by it. And I just thought, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to do something like that one day. And then, like... And there's some of the semi-permanent that we tried to, like, because I love the, I know that um, obviously you'll have a link for it, but there's a scene where her face, the camera's going around her face, and it reminds me of the end of semi-permanent. And we were, when we were um, at the very beginning, we were, like, talking about, well, we'll do that. We'll do some live action over the face. Of course, that never happened because of time. (laughs) But um, that video for me was quite um, a moment. And I I just thought that it was so creative, so unusual. I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah. It was a special time, uh, Michelle Gondry and yeah. Chris Cunningham and all of that. Chris Cunningham, again, the yeah. Evolves Full of Love video is incredible. Mm. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. I uh, f- feel like an old man of motion. Yeah. <laughs> 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 old lady of motion. <laughs> uh, so, um, where can everybody follow you? We're best place be Heidi to uh, follow you online oh I have like a fantastic um, Instagram name it's called the darker dark (laughs) so go ahead I'm at that you can find me awesome excellent so I yeah I'm on Instagram as well I think uh, it's Y-M-A-M-D but I think if you just looked up Hazel Baird yeah you'd probably come up yeah Yeah, but the the reason it's those initials is it's your mother ate my dog which is from (laughs) Peter Jackson's Brain Dead it's my favourite movie oh nice (laughs) yeah Oh, yeah. excellent. Peter Jackson tends to come up when um, talking to international guests. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure about... I'm sorry to be so boring. <laughs> no, 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 he's 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 like uh, the godfather of New Zealand film. So. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. So I'm a huge fan of yeah. Peter Jackson. Yeah, but awesome. his Brain Dead, I love, I love that movie. Yeah, it's hilarious. Mm. Who would you both like to see on the show in the future? Who would be your future guest picks? I just really love like uh, Proustent and Honey Long. They're like this fantastic duo who, um, you know, it's like they play with this like textural quality of like their photo work. They've done a little bit of video work as well, but there's something very like beautiful thematically with what they're talking about in terms of like bodies and female bodies and just like how they're shooting them and how they're re kind of changing your perspective on on what you expect to see and what we kind of think um, body should look like and 
just materiality, really. It's it's really fascinating what they do, and um, I I would be down to hearing like picking their brains or hearing anything that's going on in there. Cool, cool. I've did a little bit of internet stalking of you both. Oh prior. boy, oh boy. And I have to say, your photography is outstanding. It's like really cool. It was, <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. Like um, passion for photography. I think mm, most mm. motion designers yeah. have a passion and an interest in photography. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it, it really. Uh, I always tell this to, um, you know, like new students who are really heavy into motion graphics, just like what else to do as a hobby to kind of like help them move that forward. And I, I feel like doing things practically with photography or like video really helps you kind of like appreciate lighting and just like the practical sense of like yeah. when light moves and how things change at certain times of the day. So. Yeah, photography is fantastic. Yeah, excellent. And Hazel, who would you like to see on the show? Well, I picked Jeff Hahn because <laughs> he works at Elastic. And he's amazing. And he's amazing. Amazing. Cool. Doom Patrol. Yeah. <laughs> and Bobby Kennedy, mm-hmm. Strokes of Genius. Um, also Ant-Man. And Ant-Man, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the sweetest guy. He's amazing. Um, so I pick him. He's just awesome. great. <laughs> I love him. And my fangirl him all the time because he's a good designer. And, yeah. You know, yeah. I like that. So That's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to talk to him about his mm. work. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. And I think I might know someone who knows him. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I thought for a minute, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, everybody, you can follow the Pro Video Podcast on our Slack group. It's the best place to join and jump in. It's a way of just having real conversations with everybody. And jump in and I'll be asking you in the future for future guests questions. We're doing that um, recently, so it's working out really well and everyone's quite excited about that. So thank you to Chris and to Justin and to Dan for their questions this week. Really, really appreciate those. Thank you both so much. It's awesome to have you in the studio and um, I hope you've been enjoying Auckland and New Zealand. Yeah, that's great. It's fantastic. Went to Wahiki Island. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome to hear because it's not summer either. (laughs) (laughs) We know. The sun came out when we were there. It's weird. Yeah, this is our harsh winter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, um, four seasons in one day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Reminds me of Scotland, so it's good. (laughs) Are you from Scotland? Yes. Never have known. No, all right. (laughs) (laughs) That always gets me every time. Uh, awesome thank you so much Heidi my pleasure thank you for having us thank you so much Hazel thanks for having us it's great awesome okay everybody you you have a great week and we'll catch you next time alright bye 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 bye